We will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, this morning. The passage that we're looking at for our crowd here this morning, uh, and as I teach through it, there's actually three different applications here uh, for all of us. Uh, anytime you get a bunch of people together, uh, Christians, you have people who are very knowledgeable in the Word and they've walked with the Lord a long time. Then you have some who uh, are they're Christians, but they're brand new to it. It's and they're wondering, okay, am I doing this thing right? Uh, you know, there's lots of questions. You're trying to work out. The fact that, okay, I, I know I'm saved, but I'm not sure just how everything works out. So you've got those people in a crowd, and then there may be a few, uh, maybe one, that uh, doesn't know the Lord yet, but you're, you're searching, you're looking. And so this morning's passage will, will touch all of us. Those of you who uh, you know down deep in your heart that you are born again, that you are saved, for you, what I hope to do is prepare you a little bit uh, in any time you're wanting to witness, uh, maybe teach a Sunday school class or uh, the, the youth or anyone uh, that you're a little more prepared to present the gospel if you're asked. Uh, we need to always be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And if you are not prepared, you can't, you can't really give that reason. So uh, that'll be uh, one of the main things as we go through this this morning. It says, <clears throat> there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Um, just so you know, what this means and what this is telling us is that he was a member of what is called the Sanhedrin, a 70-man a uh, group of men who ruled under Roman authority, um, but they still ruled uh, Israel. They ruled primarily in the religious realm of Israel, but they also could uh, pass some uh, judgments pertaining to civil law, but they had their authority was limited by the Roman government uh, they couldn't pass a sentence of death and, and certain property uh, judgments and those kind of things. So they were limited, but that's who he is part of. And then <clears throat> a ruler of the Jews, um, it, it, it means that he was one of the high ups in, and later we'll see Jesus refer to him as the teacher 
there was two that were the main teachers during this time. One, his name was Gamaliel, and Nicodemus is the other. And so in of, of all Israel, Nicodemus was probably about the most knowledgeable that there was in existence in those days pertaining to what they knew about God, what they knew about the scripture, how that they should live their lives and everything. So uh, that puts it in perspective as uh, it would be similar to a, um, a seminary professor uh, that knew, knows Greek and Hebrew and three or four more languages and and can stand up and just, you know, read the Greek and say it in English, <laughs> one of those kind of professors. That's the kind of man Nicodemus was. And this man came to Jesus by night, and that means that he really didn't want the rest of the Sanhedrin to know that he was coming to Jesus. And so he, there was something drawing him uh, to find out uh, who this man Jesus is. He even recognizes that he came from God. And that's the first thing that needs to happen to a person in order to get saved, is that you feel drawn, drawn to Jesus. Not necessarily to church, because, you know, let's be honest, church hasn't always gotten it right <laughs> down through church history. They've kind of missed the mark themselves, but drawn to Jesus. And I want to emphasize that because the church won't save you. The church can't save you. The church sometimes is a medium in which you can be saved. It's a means by which uh, you're introduced to Jesus, but the church doesn't save. Jesus does. And there was something going on in the life of Nicodemus that drew him to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so he came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, so that means probably some other members of the Sanhedrin had recognized some of these things going on with Jesus. And he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he recognized a truth about Jesus. And I find it significant that the thing he points out are the various uh, healings and, and miraculous things that Jesus does. He points to those and says that no one could do those signs unless he came from God. And, and they recognize that. <clears throat> and Jesus answered, Verse 3, and said to him, and, and I find it very interesting. If, if I had been in this conversation, I would have just kind of got into the conversation with Nicodemus, as would most everyone. You would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, God sent me, you know. And, 
I'm here because, you know, he, he, he and I, we, we're kind of buddies, you know. And <laughs> but Jesus, of course, Jesus is God. He can do this. He can just go right to the heart. He, he knew that this little flattery that Nicodemus was doing wasn't the main objective. He, he could see his heart that he was really wanting to know about the kingdom of God. He really wanted to know for sure that when he died, he would make it there. And so Jesus just, boy, he just, he, he goes completely around that wall and just hits him. Uh, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, uh, and you say, wait a minute, Nicodemus didn't ask about being born again. But see, Jesus knows your heart. Before you even ask, no matter what the question is you ask, he knows the answer that you need to hear. That is, uh, it's, it's two things at once to me. It's frightening that he knows my heart because whenever I have a thought of, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and, and you have to hit your brakes and especially if you're hauling livestock or something and, you know, you're, half of them have gone down in the trailer and, and the thoughts that come to your mind just like that. And so it's kind of frightful that he knows my heart and can see what's in it. But it's also comforting because he knows the answer I need to hear from him. He knows without me even asking and so he said, most assuredly I say to you, because he could see his heart, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Nicodemus, um, like all of us, he would be asking the question, well, of course, you and I have the the privilege of being able to have the scripture and to have read the story first before coming to the Lord. We could have read this numerous times and, and analyzed our way through it and reasoned and asked God to enlighten me and show me and, and all. But Nicodemus, he didn't have that. And it's just like, bang, this is the real question I was asking, and now he's he's drilling it home to me. But this born again thing, and so Nicodemus said to him, "How can a man be born when he is old?" So Nicodemus, that lets us know he's an older man. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which would be a logical question, because Jesus said, "Born again." Can you can, can you go back and and be born again? Well, obviously, the answer to that is no, you can't. And so Jesus answers him again, verse five: "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." 
I'm glad Jesus didn't just stop there. He included verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he explains in verse 6 what he meant by water and spirit. He's equating born of water of being born of the flesh. It's our bodies. Um, Women know much better than us men, but when you give birth uh, to a baby, uh, the first thing that happens is your water breaks. And so uh, that's what Jesus is referring to when he says you must be born of water, uh, you have to be born that way. Now the the church again over the centuries they've argued what what this means, and I maintain that if they'd just read verse six, it explains it. Um, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's pretty pretty laid out there for us. Um, the church has said through history that he was talking to someone who was alive at the same time John the Baptist was alive and John was baptizing down on the Jordan and so this means you had to be born of John's baptism in water and of the Spirit uh, because the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus you have to have both of those in order to see the kingdom of God well for you and me, that's impossible. John the Baptist is no longer on the Jordan. We, can't, we cannot go there. So that one's out. Another one is that uh, traditionally uh, that you have to be baptized in water in order uh, to complete the salvation thing. And that <clears throat> you need to be born of water in other words when you're buried in the in the waters of baptism and raised up that you're born and then uh, the spirit comes and through that process you're saved well that's not it either Um, I am so thankful verse 6 is there because it explains uh, that which is flesh is flesh um, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit so he's talking about two totally different births um, it's been said uh, saying that if you're born twice you die once if you're born once you die twice and I'll explain what that means All of us as human beings are born on this earth. We're born once. But if we're not born again like Jesus is talking, we'll die twice. First time will be when we exit this body. And our bodies wear out or get killed or whatever. And we reach that day that is appointed unto man to die, and we die from this body. 
but our spirit, our soul, goes on. And and if if uh, we haven't received Jesus as our Savior, um, that spirit or soul, uh, it, the Bible refers to the going to the heart of the earth. And there you remain until the resurrection. And at the resurrection, you're brought back. And again, this is a person who doesn't know Jesus. You're brought to stand before the uh, judgment uh, of God, the great white throne judgment. And then... Uh, you're asked to give an account of yourself and your works, everything, but you're lacking one major thing. You never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Well, then that's when he will cast you out into what is referred to as outer darkness where the fire uh, burns unquenchable forever and ever and ever. And that casting away from the presence of God is referred to as the second death. That's for the unbeliever. So born once, you die twice. Once in this body, the second time is is when you're separated from God in heaven. For the person who is born again and, and is a true believer... You're born from your mother. You arrive here on earth, cute and cuddly and sweet and all of this. But then you grow up into this sinful, you know, ugly person that's just got sin dripping off of you. But you get saved. You get born again. Your spirit is made alive. And then... You get the the appointed day, you die. You are separated, and that's what death is. It's a separation. Your your spirit is separated from your body. You go into the presence of the Lord. And then at the day of the resurrection, you're reunited with your body again, and you don't have to go to the great white throne judgment. Because down here on earth... You judged yourself and you condemn yourself that you're a sinner. And so uh, by that process then you look to Jesus as the Savior. You receive him, you accept him, you get born again. So you die, you leave here, you go to heaven, you're with Jesus. And then at the Bema seat of Christ which is um, not a judgment, but it's a time of reward. Uh, You and I and all other believers will be there. And you don't experience this separation from God. Wherever you go for eternity, uh, you're in the presence of, of Jesus. Just like right now, wherever you go as a born-again person here on earth, you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
and, and he lives in you because you're born again. He's with you. He's around you. He's comforting you. He's guiding you. He's instructing you. This morning, right now, he's the real instructor, not me. And in, in heaven, you don't uh, die again. You're not separated from God. So you're born once by the flesh. You're born the second time by the Spirit. And then you die once when you exit this body and you step into eternal life. Never to die again. Never to be separated from God. And that's what he's talking about. In verse 7, he says, Do not marvel. Don't consider it a wondrous thing. Don't marvel at it that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you know the law. You know the scripture. You know all of these things. And you shouldn't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. And when Jesus said, you must be born again, he's saying a whole lot more than just, you must be born again. Whenever he says must, that means there is only one way. Jesus later in the book of John, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's eternal life. But I am the way. I'm the truth, he says. And when he was standing before Pilate, and Pilate, he, at that time, he couldn't recognize the truth when he's standing right in front of him. And he says, eh, what is truth? What, what is it? And Jesus is standing right there in front of him. And he was blinded to the fact that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. A little side note on Pilate, uh, history tells us that he afterwards got saved and became a believer and uh, moved to Switzerland and uh, had a mountain named after him, Mount Pilatus. And uh, I I learned about that. We, We traveled to Switzerland and people there would point to that and I'd say, yeah, that's... Pilate's Mountain, and uh, he, uh, uh, he he became a, a Christian, and that's the the uh, story they tell about him over in Switzerland. But anyway, uh, when Jesus was standing in front of him, he couldn't he couldn't see it, he couldn't recognize it. Verse eight, he says the and again Jesus speaking, the wind blows. Where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I find it interesting when Jesus refers to the wind, the word he used for wind in those days 
was also the same exact word that they would use for the Spirit of God. And when you know that, that makes this mean a whole lot more. You could read it that the Spirit blows or goes where he wishes, and you hear and you see the effects of it and all, but you can't tell where he comes from, where he goes, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think exactly what that means is that no two of us are uh, our experience. We're, we're all saved identically the same way. But our experience is unique to each one of us. Some are driving down the road listening to the radio and they hear, you know, they hear a rock song and then they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit blows through and you're convicted and you pull over and, and ask Jesus to come into your heart. And the next person, uh, you were raised in church and you went to Sunday school and you read the Bible and you read it and read it and and you just keep going to church, and all of a sudden, one Sunday, the preacher, uh, he's not even talking about salvation, and, and you get convicted by the Spirit, you receive Christ and get saved. The next person, he has to travel across the country and go to Billy Graham Crusade. And uh, the next person, a friend, he's never even gone to church, and just a friend just tells him about Jesus. He gets saved. The next person is by himself, and he just knows he's a sinner, and he knows that he's going to hell, and he just, somehow he knows that there's a God out there, and he asks God, uh, I want peace, I want, I want peace, and, and I don't have it. And, and by themselves, wherever they happen to be, they, they get born again. So the experience is unique. Some people get all emotional and cry and they start shaking and, and all kinds of stuff. Other persons are just just stone. You know, you look into their eyes and you think, are you alive in there? <laughs> you know, um, everyone's different in their in their experience. But what happens to you is identical. What happens is the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God. You see, there used to be a temple in Jerusalem. And in AD 70, the Romans tore it down. And there was a time in the first temple, that you knew that God was very present there because I spoke last week of the Shekinah glory of God when they dedicated that temple, this bright cloud light came in and they recognized that's the presence of God coming in. He did the same thing with the tabernacle. And so that... It can't contain God, but he he let them know his presence is there. And 
that's where you traveled if you wanted to pray to God, if you wanted to worship. If you, you could worship God anywhere, but for a deeper meaning, you, you would go to the temple. That temple's gone. And now Jesus tells us, you are the temple of God. And the way that is, is that individually, as you have been born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And all of a sudden, when that happens, maybe you've been reading the Bible, and, and you read it, you don't understand it, you recognize there's some truth in it, and it's a good story, and it's all of that, but it just doesn't mean anything. You get saved, and all of a sudden, you read the same passage, and it just leaps off. It's alive. And... Your spirit bears witness with the Spirit of God and the life that is in the Scripture, and all of a sudden you're reading this, and it's a life. It means something. You understand it. You're looking at it. Is this the same book? Uh, yeah, it's the same one that you had in your hands yesterday, but the difference is, the Spirit of God is living inside of you now. And He's making the Word of God alive to you. Nicodemus, in verse 9, he answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. And he said, in fact, it is so bad. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Um, Nicodemus, at this point, he should be really glad he didn't take anybody else with him, uh, that he snuck in by night so no one could see, because by now he is feeling pretty bad. I, I really thought I knew the, the law. I really thought I knew, and I'm finding out I don't know anything. And then just to drive the, home, the point home, Jesus kind of jumps over into spiritual things in verse 13. He says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I imagine Nicodemus at this point is saying, you know, say what? What? No one's, what, what is this ascended to heaven? What is this descending, coming back down from heaven? What is all, what is all of that? He, he, um, he probably even further didn't understand it uh, <clears throat> when Jesus referred to himself. Um, as the Son of Man who is in heaven. In other words, I am he who has descended 
and I will ascend back into heaven. I'm, I am he. And just like Moses lifted up that brazen serpent there in the uh, wilderness. When, that's a story in Numbers uh, 11, I think it is, where uh, they had rebelled against Moses and rebelled against God, and God sent these fiery serpents into the camp, and they began biting people, and they were dying. Well, uh, they came to Moses and, and crying out, you know, and saying, we're sorry, we're sorry. And so God told Moses, make a brazen serpent and put it on a staff and raise it up high and tell everyone if you're bitten by a snake to just look at that and then they'll be healed. And Jesus is referring to that here. And he said, the same way that Moses lifted up that serpent in the middle of the camp, out in that wilderness, even so the Son of Man must also be lifted up. Now, there's two ways that this can be applied. One is, and, and I believe the, probably the, the clearest image is Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And then we're told, whoever believes in him, just look at Jesus, and if you believe in him, you'll be healed from your sin. The same as those people back in the wilderness, if they'll just look at that brazen serpent lifted up on that rod, uh, after having been bitten by a snake, they'll be healed uh, just by looking. And and the same way that brazen serpent's raised up, Jesus has to be raised up. Well, there's another way other than the cross that Jesus, this could be referring to what Jesus did, and it might be the lifting up that the Father does to Jesus at the resurrection. And And you and I can't be there at the crucifixion. We can't see the actual cross, but we know the risen Lord is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we, uh, we look to the risen Lord Jesus Christ as the answer to the fact that we have been bitten by this thing called sin, venomous sin that's leading us down to death. And if we'll just look to Jesus, he'll heal us. And... And whoever believes in him, in Jesus, and that word believes, it's, um, you know, I, I believe in electricity. We, we have some of it here right now. And I believe if I walk over to the wall and flip that switch, I can I turn it on, I can turn it off. I know that if I take the cover off of that switch and I wet my finger and I stick it in there just right, I am going to get a bite like I do not want or need. And I I know these facts about electricity. I, I know that there's a motor in that ceiling fan and somehow the electricity goes in there and I'm I have looked at these things. They're just a bunch of copper wires run around each other. 
I believe it. But do I really, really down deep trust it? And I'd have to say, no, I don't. Because if I handle it wrong, it bites back, you know. And, it, and, and if I put something together, it doesn't work. It <laughs> and this word believe, when it pertains to Jesus, means not only do I know the truth about who he is, where he came from, what he did here on earth, where he died for my sin, I also place all of my trust, my confidence, my hope in him. It means not only do I I believe in that way, but I, I have this assurance of what he said he'll do, he will do. He, he gave me the promise that all that the Father has given to him, he's got us in his hand. And at the last day, he will raise us up. And he promises that he will lose none of us. All that the Father's given to him. That's an assurance, a confidence I have in knowing and believing. For God so, this is a famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. And, and it doesn't mean the dirt and the trees and the grass. When he says world here, it means the people on earth, the people, the people who live in here. He so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, meaning... They had a conference before the earth was created and planned all of this out, how that uh, when they knew the future, they knew that man would sin against God. They knew that and they laid out the plan ahead of time. And, and God the Father told Jesus the Son, you're going to have to go down and become one of them. And... As one of them, you're going to have to take their sin upon you as the sacrifice, as my Lamb of God, my Lamb. You are going to die with all of their sins upon you. And then you're going to have to end up going three days and three nights into the heart of the earth, into hell. And there you will be, but three days and three nights later, I will raise you out of that place, and you will be alive again. Of course, we know he never complete his body died, but the spirit of Jesus it didn't. But at the resurrection, the stone was rolled away, and the body reunited with his spirit. 
And he was what is referred to as the first begotten from the dead. First begotten. That implies there's going to be a second and a third and a fourth and, and thousands more. But he was the first, first begotten. And God loved us so much that he was willing to do that. And what happens when, in God's perspective, uh, when you're born again, uh, theologians refer to that process as a regeneration, when your, your spirit is made alive again. In heaven, you are declared righteous. You're declared justified. And that's a, a judicial uh, decision that is made pertaining to you in heaven. And <clears throat> what happens at that point from God's perspective is the righteousness of Jesus is reckoned unto your account. It's like a bookkeeping record. His righteousness is reckoned to your account so that when God looks at you now, he sees not you. And, and your sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. And you say, okay, now what happened to my sin? Your sin was imputed or reckoned to the account of Jesus. And then, and, and we don't understand because it doesn't say when he did this, whether it was on the cross, after the cross, after he ascended. We don't know when, but he took your sin, he took it upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took your sin and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. And then at some point, he took that sin, all of mankind's that accepted him, and cast it as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know how far that is, but that'd be a long way. Because here on the globe, you start going east. You'd go all day long. You get up in the morning, there's, there's the sun in the east. You just keep traveling next day, next day. You go all the way around, and there is still more east. And you decide, well, I can't find the east. I'll go find the west. You start going the other way, and you have sunsets before you at the end of every day. You just go to So there's no time left. You just keep going. Had he have said, I'll remove the, your sin as far as the north is from the south, he goes, that's a finite measurement. North pole, south pole. Um, and it's interesting to me that in the book of Revelation that uh, the New Jerusalem is figured out to be a 
foot, uh, some say a square, but a lot of people nowadays are saying, you know, it doesn't say it's square. It could be a sphere, uh, just a big round sphere. And if that's the case, here we are right back again to the east and west thing. (laughs) It's just... It's unmeasurable. And so I don't know how far that is, but that's how far away he dealt with your sin. In the Old Testament, the the similitude to that is uh, there was one day in the nation of Israel, they would have two goats that they would kill. And the high priest would lay his hands upon one of the goats, transferring sin of the nation to that goat. They would take that one in and they would kill it because the wages of sin is death. It requires death to atone for sin. The other goat, he would lay his hands on it and then one guy would lead him out, way out, head down toward uh, Bethlehem. And Somebody else would take him a little further until they got way off to the to the edge of the desert over the Judean desert down toward the Dead Sea, and then they would drive him away, and they would just keep driving him and drive him until he was just and then finally he'd go over the last hill and then they had people staggered uh in yelling distance of each other all the way back to the temple, and they would say the scapegoat. Uh, is gone. And they would relay that message back to the temple. And the idea is one goat would die for the sins and, and satisfy the death requirement and the other carried your sins far away, carried them out of sight, dealt with them. They had no idea that they were, every year when they did that, they were demonstrating what God the Son in reality would do right there in the same mountain one of these days, that he would die for our sins, but yet when he arrives in heaven or whenever, that the sins would be removed as far as east is from the west. We could go on. Uh, we could just keep going on this. Um, I love in theology. This is we're we're touching the tip of the iceberg of what is referred to as soteriology. And you know the verse of scripture that says that you need to work out your salvation with trembling and with fear. Part of what that means is that as a new believer, you're working all of these details out of, of okay, what did, what did God do with my sin? How am I born again? You're, you're working these things out. But then as you become a, a, a seasoned believer, you get more confidence. Uh, you, you have an assurance. When... When I had my heart attack, and I know everybody always wonders, how, how is it going to be for me when I die? How is it going to, am I going to, 
be strong or, or, or am I weak? And I knew from what they were saying, I knew from what was going on and the look on their face that this, this was serious. And I was uh, cold. They had taken my shirt off. I was laying on a tile floor. Couldn't get up. And as I lay there, I started just shaking all over, trembling. And they got me in the ambulance, and they're trying to put IVs in and everything. And the guy said, you, you need to do everything you can to stop shaking. We can't get these in your arms. And they, by then, they're strapping my arms down and all. And one of them said, you don't need to be anxious. Don't need to be afraid. We've got you in your and We're, we're going to take care of you. And... I told them, I said, I really appreciate that and I thank you, but I am in someone else's hands and I am not anxious at all. And God said, no, you, you are because you're shaking so. And I said, I am not, I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> and I began just, it was just like second nature. I started telling them about Jesus and if I died, you know, I'm going to heaven. I had such an assurance at that time. No fear, absolute confidence that if I didn't make it, I was going to heaven. And my question to you as we conclude this morning, do you have that kind of assurance? Do you have that kind of confidence?